Welcome back to Hit the Bottle. I'm your host, Michael Wingbickler. I've been managing public relations programs for more than 25 years. During that time, the means of communication may have evolved, but the basic principles have remained the same. PR is necessary to communicating your message and story to the media, trade, partners, employees, and stakeholders. Each public has different needs, and it's up to the PR professional to effectively engage with each. In today's episode, I chat with Michelle Kaufman, Communications Director for Stoller Wine Group in Oregon. We've had many discussions off air about this subject, so I'm thrilled to have her on the show. The two of us discuss PR versus marketing, the importance of third-party endorsement, and the peso model. This episode was recorded at the end of last year, so some references are made regarding the holidays. So we've almost come full circle. But the rest of the information is evergreen and should prove useful to you, our listeners. So without further ado, on with the show. Welcome to Hit the Bottle Podcast, a show for beverage sales and marketing professionals looking to up their game and further their careers and businesses. Viewed through the lens of strategy, technology, and leadership, we explore everything from digital marketing, e-commerce, brand building, public relations, and much more. Each week, we chat with industry experts and leaders, explore practical applications, and discuss what's happening in our world. Our goal is to provide you with the insights and strategies you need to create successful marketing programs. Now it's time to hit the bottle. My next guest is a Portland, Oregon native who earned her degree in journalism from the University of Oregon, focusing on public relations and communications. She currently holds the title of communications director at Stoller Wine Group, a post she's held since March 2017. Prior to joining Stoller, she served as communications manager for the Oregon Wine Board for six years. She currently serves on the board of directors for the International Pinot Noir Celebration, the Willamette Valley Winers Association Marketing Committee as chair, Dundee Hills Wine Growers Association Marketing Committee, and visit Willamette Valley PR Marketing Committee. You can say she's very well connected in Oregon. In her role at Stoller Wine Group, she oversees all media relations and communications efforts for the Stoller family estate. Jehalem, Chemistry, Canned Oregon, and History Wine Brands. I'm pleased to welcome Michelle Kaufman to Hit the Bottle. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm glad you're here. So today we're going to talk about public relations. So before we get too far into it, actually, can you let people know how they can actually get a hold of you? Yeah, so um, communications director at the Stoller Wine Group. You can find me at Stoller Family Estate or Shahalem Wines. Those are our two biggest and most known brands. Great. If you want, I can give you an email, but it's long and laborious. <laughs> and what's what's the uh, what's the website? So uh, Stoller S T O L L E R 
linegroup.com. And right now it's just a pretty splash page. And from there you can navigate to our five brands and you will find me. <laughs> Great. Perfect. So let's talk public relations. So first of all, what is public relations? So public relations is spreading a message or series of messages to one specific public. Um, public, which I don't think most people realize is actually a plural word. So it's figuring out which message and which audience you're trying to reach. Is that consumers? Is it trade? Is it um, your wine club members? Is it your stakeholders? And then really conveying out whatever said message is to that specific subset. Right. And it can also mean internal, so um, your employees. Absolutely, yeah. Um, your internal audience is actually one that gets overlooked a lot, um, and it's something I know we at our wineries, having multiple facilities spread out across the Willamette Valley, um, we struggle with that internal comms and making sure that nobody is siloed and everyone knows what's happening. Yeah, and a synonym that we often use for public relations uh, is communications, right? So, yeah. or comms. Uh, so... I think there's probably some confusion out there as to what public relations is. Sometimes I, I tell people that I'm in public relations and they look at me with a blank stare. Um, but when I say marketing, they understand that. So what's the difference between PR and marketing in your opinion? So I think the biggest piece is it comes down to that communications. The goal of PR and public relations is to convey a message and to get people to understand said message where the goal of marketing can often be sales or more goal oriented. You want someone to do something with marketing um, where PR is definitely more of that long tail relationship approach. And um, I, I almost equate it a little bit more to business development because you really are um, cultivating that relationship with the person, whether that actually comes to fruition immediately or in a couple years from now is hard to say, much like BizDev. So have you heard of the PESO model? No, do tell. <laughs> so this is, so the, the PESO model is a uh, model uh, when you're looking at uh, how you're communicating. And um, it was developed by Jenny Dietrich, uh, who is um, uh, a mentor of mine. And basically, PESO stands for paid, earned, shared, and owned. I'm sure you've heard oh, of yeah, some yeah, of those. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, so, definitely heard of all of them. I just don't know that I've heard of it in that yeah. model, which yeah. I like. Yeah. So uh, the way that I look at this is that um, PR is, is really a function of marketing. In fact, everything's a function of marketing if you look at it. Um, if you go back to your, your marketing classes of the four Ps, everything is marketing. But mm -hmm. um, traditional marketing within, uh, within a company, you know, you're going to have these basic four silos. Uh, and the way that I look at this in terms of um, which belongs where is, is that, you know, often enough paid and owned um, are the purview of marketing, whereas earned mm -hmm. is, the, is the purview of public relations. Now, there's going to be some crossovers and, you know, communications is going to create owned content. Um, it may include paid search or paid uh, uh, social advertising. Um, and then shared, you know, both. But for the most part, paid and owned, marketing, earned, 
is public relations. And so the difference, the differences there mean that you need different ways of approaching it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, I got into a bit of a conversation with a PR local PR friend of mine up here in Oregon, and we were talking about the value of paid media when it comes to PR, because did you buy samples or send samples to that writer, or did you host them for a, a visit at your estate? Because there is still some dollars changing hands even though it's not necessarily paid coverage, because in my mind, when I think paid, you're influencing the outcome of that article versus I send samples and I don't have any control of what's said or if the writer likes it. Right. I mean, that's definitely the, 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 the key to this is that earned media generally is third party endorsement and therefore you have no control mm-hmm. over what method is actually said. We can spoon feed it to them as much as possible, but in the end, the writer determines what's actually going to be written. So we have no control over that. Absolutely. Whereas with paid and owned, that is something that we can actually control. So, um, you know, another way of looking at this is, is that, you know, communications or PR is a way of getting uh, third party endorsements from outside your company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so why does it matter? Why does PR matter these days? I think PR matters because it's that, it is that third-party endorsement. And as much as we want to believe that, um, you know, writers or critics don't have the same place that they used to, at the end of the day, that word of mouth is still a huge driver. And one of the best ways to get that word of mouth is to have that coverage and is to be top of mind, right? Whether my grandma read it in a magazine, she told her friend who then told her friend, you're earning that trust and that relationship support. And I think that, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, totally. So, um, you know, it really does come down to uh, getting somebody else to if not outright endorse you, that at least they are talking about you, hopefully in a positive way. <laughs> There's no ledge that no, no PR is bad PR, but I dis- disagree with that. There is I totally PR. disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so, I think I mean, that if we're doing our job right, you know, like the bad PR is less, right? And the more transparent we are in how we're conducting our business, the less bad PR there is. Sure, if somebody doesn't like a wine, they're going to say they don't like a wine, but that's different than yeah. bad PR, yeah, right? Yeah, preference, right? Yeah, bad, totally. bad PR is, is a crisis situation, and that's a, that's an entirely different subject that we will cover some other time. Um, yeah. So, but for now, so like, okay, so how, how should beverage producers be leveraging PR to their fullest? Uh, you know, because often enough times, I'll, I'll talk to clients who... You know, they're expecting that 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 big article that they got is going to, you know, be all their their ticket to, you know, go see Willy Wonka, (laughs) you know. Sure. And it can be, but you also have to use it, right? Like you can't just get a big hit and then hope that that hit is going to work for you, much like getting a distributor, right? Like once you've got a distributor, 
that's the first step to the relationship. From there, you have to go work it. And PR and coverage and, and wonderful media hits is the exact same thing. So how would you use it? So, for example, we recently, with our Canned Oregon brand, were just named one of the 15 best Pinot Noirs under $20. Our Pinot Noir cans are 375 milliliters, so just over half a bottle of wine for $6 a can. That tidbit is in every single presentation that we are now presenting to accounts across the country. We are telling everyone on social. We are putting it out there. Um, in any of the kits that we're, we're pushing out there. So we're making that coverage work for us, and we are crediting Food & Wine, who's the wonderful publication that gave us this unbelievable honor, um, as much as we can, because we know that if we give Food & Wine credit, if we push content back to Food & Wine so people go read the whole article, they are going to be more inclined to scratch our back in the future, right? Publications are a dining breed. They need readership just as much as we need that coverage. Right. Well, and then, you know, also it it does come down to, you know, okay, you're talking to a distributor rep. Who are they going to believe more when you say this is one of the the best wines in can right now? Are they going to believe you who are actually making that can? Or are they going to believe, you know, Ray Isle at uh, Food & Wine who... Right. I mean, hands down, right? Having that endorsement matters, but you can't just rest on your laurels that it's happening. You have to make that coverage work for you. Absolutely. So uh, do you, as a matter of habit, you know, anytime you get a good uh, piece of coverage, do you distribute that to your sales force and, um, and, or the, your distributor network as well? Yes, we, um, we are getting better at making sure that our distributor knows when we get a great piece of coverage like that. But we definitely tell the, the team. And I have sort of a tiered approach of, you know, if it's a good hit, if it's a nice regional hit, I might just send it to my marketing team and my social team to get out there and spread it out to consumers. If it's a slightly larger hit, then we'll send it to the appropriate, you know, national sales or even direct-to-consumer sales so that the tasting room staff can then quit that. Um, in fact, this morning, our our Reserve Chardonnay for Stoller Family Estate was just named one of the best holiday wines in Wine Spectator. Well, great. So let's let people know who are coming into the tasting room right now for the holidays. Hey, Augustus Weed just said, this is a great holiday wine. You seem to be liking it. Would you like to take this home with you? And it's that third-party endorsement. It's that word of mouth. It's that badge of honor that it's not just us telling you this is a great wine. Someone else is too. So what should the C-suite consider when they're hiring a PR manager or agency? I think it really comes down to strategy. What is your overall business strategy? And then how can you use PR to that end, right? Are you a regional brand that is only you know, distributed in Oregon or in the Pacific Northwest, great. Well, then your focuses need to be on those regional places. This isn't to say that you couldn't go out and do a travel piece and look at travel writers who are like, come to the Pacific Northwest, come to the Willamette Valley and find this local hidden gem. But that's going to be a very different pitch than me reaching out to spectators saying, get my reserved Chardonnay because it's out there in every single market and it's great for the holidays. So what's your strategy? And then from there, figure out how you can weaponize PR to be the other tool in your box. 
Here's a message from our sponsor. So, okay, what kind of characteristics or attributes should a C-suite manager look for when they're looking to make that higher active strategy? Such a good question. Um, I think it comes back down to, again, what's your strategy? What are you trying to get? And relationships. Who are who are the relationships that these agencies have? Do they have the relationships that fit your strategy? Again, you know, I'm in the Willamette Valley where 70% of the producers up here make 5,000 cases of wine or less annually. So my wineries that I, I work for and I represent are much different than the vast majority of everyone else that's out there. So we stand apart a little bit and we can tell that story differently. For some of our neighboring wineries, though, Yes, it would be great to get a hit in some of these larger publications, but they could actually drive more business to their bottom line if they're looking at those regional pubs or even some of those micro-influencers or micro-bloggers that are out there that may not have a huge following, but my gosh, they've got a heavily dedicated following that's going to ride or die by what that influencer says. Yeah, making sure that you're finding an agency that has that skill set. Yeah, it's, it's something I've, I've, uh, I've discussed previously, and that is that, you know, quantity doesn't really matter. It matters about quality. So I don't care Absolutely. if you've got 2,000 people in your media database. How well are you going to know all 2,000 of those people? But if you have good relationships with 20 to 50 of those, that's, that's money in the bank. And it's the same thing with, you know, social influencers. Like, you know, if you... If you have 10,000 followers on Facebook, yet nobody actually is engaged with your brand, those 10,000 followers are useless to you. They're not going to affect your business at all. Whereas if you have 100, if you have 100 followers who are really dedicated, who are engaged with you, who have an affinity for your brand, they're much more valuable. Absolutely. So what's the downside of having no PR? I think the downside of having no PR is you have no voice at the table, right? There's nobody out there advocating for you. There's nobody out there telling you that story. And thereby, you don't really have as much opportunity to that earned coverage that's out there. And if you are creating owned content, let's say your marketing team is out there slang and doing videos and cool social stuff, you can use that owned content as a way to get earned content, you know, send it to a writer. Hey, did you check out this thing we're doing? Oh my gosh, I want to make sure you're aware of this. Have you heard of that? And use that to leverage what's actually happening in your own business. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you, and that and that kind of goes to uh, you know, PR is is another uh, it's another piece of the marketing mix, right? It's it's a part, it's it's another tool in your toolbox. Um, just like social. But you have to understand like that there's. Yeah, but it's a different tool, right? It's not a screwdriver. Maybe it's an Allen wrench, and we do something totally different than a screwdriver. Um, We look the same. Ultimately, we still screw a bolt into a table, but very different bolts. Yes, (laughs) agreed. But that said, you know, there can be be crossover um, between, you know, marketing and PR at times when, uh, like you say, it's like, 
look at this cool stuff that we're doing that could be driven through marketing. It could be driven through PR, you know, it really depends on, on the organization and, and how they're working. Well, and it's like you said at the beginning, right? It's communication. So what are you communicating? Even in your marketing efforts or our marketing efforts, you know, I always read our email marketing emails. I look at our ads. What are we communicating? And is that what we want to communicate even on a visual level? Well, not only that is, 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 is not only evaluating what it is uh, that you're communicating, but, you know, just making sure that you're all on the same page. You know, um, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I see it all the time where basically the sales, sales guys tell a different story from the PR person who's telling a different story from the marketing person. And then the guy in the tasting room has like got his own story that he made up like five years ago and he's been telling it ever since. Oh, absolutely. And it's easy to play the telephone game too, right? Where you heard something that somebody else was saying you thought you understood, but you didn't. And so that's where having a really strong PR um, effort or, or person on staff or company or whatever it is, is really knitting the company back together from that internal internal comm standpoint yeah and then in, in, in going back to what we you know talking about downsides of not having pr is that the fact is is that you were left out of the conversation you know if they if, if, people, you know, yeah. if, if somebody has a roundup of like the best oregon wines and you haven't done any kind of pr on it there you're not even on the radar so you're not going to be mentioned because you know you, or you didn't even know you know yeah absolutely and it also it, one one of the more frustrating things as as being a PR professional is that when you know when your client or your your manager comes to you and says, "Well, why weren't we included in this in this publication?" and you're like, "Well, you haven't been talking about anything, so they're not gonna they're not gonna just pick you out of the ether, right? You may have yeah. a very high opinion of your own brand, but you know that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody else understands it the same way you do." I mean, you have to show up to the table, right? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So if you aren't playing in that, it's that sphere, if you aren't actively sending out samples to various writers, if you aren't inviting media to come taste at your winery or have an experience at your winery, then no, you're never going to show up in those publications. And when you do, it's more by total luck than actual business intent. Correct. So let's talk a little bit about some best practices. What are some best practices that you use um, in your, uh, let's say, let's let's narrow it down to media relations. So just media relations, not, not necessarily the other So I try very hard to stay active with the members of the media that I have relationships with. And when I'm sending samples out, I really try to make sure that I'm sending wines to people that I think they will actually write about, things that they will actually find compelling. So my media list and my sample list varies depending on if I'm talking about Stoller and Shehalem, which are tenured traditional wine brands in the Willamette Valley, versus our Cannes brand, which is more alternative packaging, lifestyle-driven, um, alternative use case-driven. Those wines, you know, are much more lifestyle-active-focused versus Stoller and Jehalem, which are much more very traditional wine stories. Yeah, and you get that information by doing your homework. It's something yeah. that, I harped, that I've harped on for years, but, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, you have to put the work in in order for you to be effective. I um, can't tell you how many, I, you know, because I kind of have a foot in both worlds, you know, with, Having, done, having been blogging for a long time and now with this podcast, you know, I get media pitches all the time and 
I use several of them as examples of what not to do with my mm -hmm. staff. Mm -hmm. And I have personally a fairly laissez-faire approach to PR. You know, I'll send samples out and my pitch, even when I'm sending out a press release, hey, if this works and this is something that you're interested in, great, happy to get you more information. If not, don't worry about it. Now you at least know what's happening in our neck of the woods. You've tasted my current release wines. And if it comes back in a few years and you're like, yeah, let's recircle to that, you have that reference point. Yeah, it's really important that, that executives, marketing people, even communications VPs, that they understand that there is no quid pro quo when it comes to media relations. Granted, there are situations all. where you have paid influencers, but that's a different animal. We're talking about Absolutely. traditional media relations. You, again, have no control over whether somebody writes about your products if, if you send samples. In fact, often of times, the, the environment today is that if a writer doesn't like a sample, they won't write about it. If they wrote about yeah. everything and included the ones that they didn't like, you might have a bad review on your hands. So sometimes it's a blessing. And it's also being patient, right? Like the media landscape is much like the distributor landscape is shrinking and everything is consolidating, which means that one wine writer or travel writer or food writer might actually be covering all three of those different categories. And they might be writing for four or five publications and they may be getting as many as samples from 10 different wineries per day. There's no way that they're going to taste all of those. It's just not feasible. The best I can do is make sure that they've gotten the samples when they want the samples. Yeah, that's an important point. Let's, let's, let's pause on that one for a second. Best practice, don't send samples to somebody who hasn't said that they would accept them. And I am guilty of doing it occasionally, but again, it's that laissez-faire approach. Hey, yeah, but it great. also, but if, not, if you already have an existing relationship with the writer, sure, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. that's okay. Don't just send them to somebody that you've never met before. Correct. You know, and 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 that's and that's a big one because what happens is if you send you send samples to somebody who hasn't actually said that they would accept them, either a they're going to get pissed off at you and say you're an idiot, or b they're just the, the samples just go to waste and you know, they'll, they'll get donated or, you know, they usually end up in gift baskets for their friends or what have you. Um, so, you know, use your resources intelligently. I mean, it's a, it's a delicate balance. I, I'm a big fan of the more brothers, see more and sell more. The more you talk to, the more <laughs> opportunity you have, but you also don't want to spray and pray, right? And give right. out samples to every Tom, Dick and Harry and then hope to God that somebody actually writes about them. Yeah. And again, it comes back to, you know, doing your homework and making sure that the, the people that you're sending samples to um, are going to be saying something that you want and or that they are going to actually, you know, say, it. I mean, if you, if you're sending samples to a, a blogger for, for instance, who hasn't written in two months, you know, you're, you know, you're just, you just, you're just pissing money away. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, but then again, what's the purpose of what you're doing? Maybe they haven't blogged in too much, but they're still super active and tasting on, on social. And if they've got a good sure. social and they have a good presence, knowing what is that strategy? What is the outcome that you want to happen with those wines that you're sending? Yeah. And that's a fair point. And nowadays it is, uh, there are, it's not as easy it's not as black and white as saying, well, they wrote up our 
wine in this publication because they it may be included in multiple channels. It might be included on yeah, a, a blog, on a you know um, Huffington Post, and you know on social. So um, you know the question is is like how how are they how are you measuring the success of that uh, overall? And it does come down come back to measurement. I mean, you know how you how you measure PR ROI um, is sometimes difficult to say because uh, here's the action it's kind of return on uh, on your activities, but uh, it is important that you actually track your results. Yeah, and we, uh, you know, one of the things that I measure by is how many samples did I send out. How many media did I host on a state? How many media visits did I have in market? And then total number of hits based on those things. Is that a perfect measurement system? No, but it's something. Yeah, you know, there's uh, someday we're going to have that kind of um, perfect scenario where basically we can track you know, oh, this, our, our wines were written up in this publication on this day, and we could track the traffic that increased to our website uh, when that happened. Um, you know, the, the, the expertise is just not there yet. I mean, the tools are there, but the expertise isn't, isn't there yet. But someday we'll be able to better track, you know, our direct results of the activities that we're doing. In the meantime, we do have to use those proxies, like you said. Yeah, but I mean, even to that, in some end, you know, I can, I can tell you that with our canned Oregon hit in Food and Wine, I sent wines to several different writers at Food and Wine, some that do more research than definitely write. So this is going to be a combination of all of that outreach. Um, and then things like with Spectator, they did mention my winery name, so then I can track the click-through back. But this is still a retraining of media in general, that if you are writing up my wine, please send them to my website, not specifically just my website, but if you're going to mention, let's say, Shehalem Winery and then our Enoch Chardonnay, point them to my Enoch Chardonnay because the more I can see that traffic coming back to my website, the more I will then go push that article out into the market and help give those publications a higher uh, viewership because they're struggling for viewership. Yeah, I think that, I think that goes um, a little counter to the mindset of journalism as a, a, you know, traditional journalism um, where there has always been this very church and state sort of separation between editorial and, um, and the revenue generating activities at, at a, at a kitchen. Um, that has been changing and, and I'm sure that it will evolve more in that there's probably going to be more um, kind of referral um, based traffic like that in the future. Yeah, I mean, the, the internet, the digital world tech is the next frontier of wine. And if we aren't using it, uh, either in PR or marketing to drive sales forward, we're really missing the boat on that. And these these articles and the way that journalism works is, is one of those pieces that we're not fully there yet, but we should be and we could be. And it can be a bigger... Um, a bigger virtual circle between brands that are mentioned and companies that are out there. That makes yeah. sense. Publications that are out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. I think uh, that will do it for today. 
Thank you so well, much. Thank you for, so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always love talking to you. You're super smart. <laughs> I love uh, I love having these conversations with you because uh, I can tell you're of a like mind. So uh, thanks a bunch, and um, definitely uh, check out Stoller uh, Stoller Wine Group. Uh, they make some great wines, and uh, frankly, they're they're hitting it out of the park with their marketing and PR uh, activities. So um, check them out, and thanks again, Michelle. Thanks, Mike. This has been Hit the Bottle, a production of Balzac Communications and Marketing. You can find past episodes on our website at htbpodcast.com. Drop us a line on social at htbpodcast or send us an email to mike at htbpodcast.com or emma at htbpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please rate and review in any of the mentioned platforms. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.